This is the Sermon Podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 20th chapter. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. Grace, peace, and joy to each of you this day through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. So I have a general rule about not viewing television shows or movies that have anything to do with a theological or a biblical theme. It becomes a little ugly. All the time I spent in school, and I was in school, and actually I'm in school still, aren't I, teaching at the seminary, but all that time I've spent in school makes me then leap from my chair, my husband gets embarrassed by this, and shake a finger and say, that's historically inaccurate, that's biblically, it makes no sense, theologically it just ain't right. I've even taught my spouse to detect bad theology now in shows. Well, just it, maybe it was a moment of weakness or just trying to find out what everybody was talking about, the brouhaha about it. I actually watched a movie based on a book, based on a biblical theme. The Da Vinci Code. Yes. See, you've all read it. I mean, I've seen it, right? I think I watched it actually because of Tom Hanks, but we won't go there. My spouse knows. Um, So I was kind of curious, really. One of my, I think, best qualities. (laughs) But I was curious about the popularity of a story that centered on Jesus, because how how could that be? You know, Jesus is pretty popular here at Lord of Life, right? But maybe not so much in the culture. So what is it about that movie, that book, that touched at something that was real basic and important. So I have a theory. (laughs) It's because the storyline served up a juicy, tabloid-like, heretical tidbit as its main course. The suggestion that Jesus and Mary Magdalene were married and that they had children. That's a juicy tidbit. And not only did this story suggest Jesus had a normal married relationship with a woman, The driving force behind the plot line is that the bloodline of Jesus and Mary is still continuing. Now that's something that I can get my head around. 
historically, biblically, theologically. The bloodline of Jesus and Mary still continues. You know, we talk about the scandal of the cross, and I actually think I preached here one time with the title of a sermon to that effect. But this movie dishes up something that's a different kind of scandal, doesn't it? And it touches at the heart of something that we humans like to kind of rub our hands about. The scandal of the Jesus story is that there are direct descendants of Jesus, the Christ, walking the earth today. And guess what? That is historically, biblically, and theologically very interesting. Most of us, not all, but most of us know a good bit about our biological and our genealogical heritages. We're all just a short distance from being immigrants, all of us, short distance, unless we are people of, of, of the First Nations. That's what the Canadians call native folks, First Nations. Some of us can even trace our families back to Jamestown, maybe, or even Plymouth Rock, even though I did visit Plymouth Rock when I was doing my internship in New England, and it's very tiny. The Latter-day Saints, the Daughters of the American Revolution registries, and also Ancestry.com, they all make it easy for us to connect to our roots. And in seminary education, we encourage people to do some exploration about the generations that precede us. We ask questions. In fact, I teach a class that encourages and teaches our students to ask good questions, to be curious about the important people in their families, that that gives them insight into what has made them and us the people we are today. And we also uh, encourage students going out into the ministry world of asking the same kinds of questions about congregations as they're serving them, about the ministry heritages of communities of faith. It's a very, very vibrant and interesting piece because what it does is it gives pastors, leaders, an insight into the stories about God's activity with that group of disciples over the years, God's strength and engagement. The stories of how God has been with communities of faith over the years gives important perspective on strength, on courage, and challenges uh, much as knowing what scripture says gives us perspectives on how God has been invested in lives before our own time. And in fact, those stories in scripture actually intersect with our human stories and our congregational stories so beautifully. That's partly what sermons are about. That's partly about what spiritual life is about. Those stories tell about God's relationship and presence throughout life, throughout the world, that shape our understanding of ourselves and how God acts. So one of the most popular television shows um, on network television right now, um, it's also on demand, so you can binge watch if you desire it. And this is called This Is Us. Have any of you watched it? This Is Us. I yes, yes. I usually don't watch popular things. You can tell that by my movie story too, but I was encouraged by a number of people saying, you'd love this. Well, here I am preaching about it. Um, it's a story of several generations of the Pearson family, and it deftly weaves between past and present, uh, current time, and the experiences of the history and the origin of the family, and it unfolds the gifts 
and the challenges of this family, and they're very similar to our families, not to mention our faith family. One of the most poignant storylines, I think, in fact, one of these episodes I cried the whole time. It's a good thing we have Kleenex um, in our uh, TV room. But one of the most poignant storylines is of Randall. It's an African-American boy who was adopted by white parents when one of their triplets died at birth. So Randall's adoptive family is wonderful. The father that raised him is able to calm him when he's bound by anxiety and fear, and he's a very, very anxious little boy. And Randall, in his own words, over and over again, was raised in, would say he was raised in a loving home. But he needed something more. He needed to explore. So he goes looking for his biological roots and tries to connect with the bloodline that he shares with others. And he finds his biological father, William. And William moves in with Randall and his, Randall's wife and two little girls. And there begins this important three-generation family. Then um, Randall and William go on a road trip together that's filled with joy, newfound history, new insights, and a good bit of pain, too. And William takes Randall back to his hometown of Memphis. And there, Randall meets some of William's history and jazz and soul music. And he also meets cousins, the bloodline that he never knew. So re reconnecting with William doesn't negate the gifts of Randall's adoptive family. But it gives Randall a wider view on himself and how he occupies the world. Bloodlines are important. Dan Brown must have known them when he wrote The Da Vinci Code. But what Brown may not have known is something that you and I already know. Bloodlines are important, and more importantly for you and for me, the gospel writers actually beat Dan Brown to that understanding 2,000 years ago. Today's gospel, John wrote about the very moment that the development of the church of Jesus Christ took place, the bloodline. And the risen Christ appears in this closed-up, fear-filled room where his disciples have all but entombed themselves. And not unreasonably, Jesus' followers were expecting that the Jew Jewish authorities would be looking for them, hoping to get rid of them in some kind of unpleasant way. You can imagine what that might be. Suddenly, there's Jesus. He's with them. Locked doors don't keep Jesus out. No barriers stop him. And to this frightened flock, Jesus issues a comforting word of peace. Peace be with you. To his doubting, say, dispirited flock, his disciples, Jesus offers up insight and that for them to be able to actually see his wounds on his hands and his side. And to those who stood huddled in that upper room, who hold the future of the good news in their fainting hearts, Jesus offers them a new life. He breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. It's the breath of new life that Jesus gave to the disciples into that darkened room. It was also a moment of family, of kin, of siblings all together. 
that breath of new life marked the failure of the religious establishment to get rid of Jesus and those troublesome followers. That breath of new life transformed downtrodden, dispirited, dejected fear mongers into spirit-filled, mission-driven, Jesus-focused disciples. That breath is new life. That breath is us. That breath is us. When Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit into that room, the community of faith, the ecclesia, the church was born. If you look around this morning, I get to look at all of you. You and I are bloodline. We are Jesus' bloodline. Very life of Christ. This is us. Jesus can. We are Christ's offspring. We are Christ's bloodline. We are Christ's. Uh, the siblings of Christ together sharing the same blood-born, water-carried pedigree. And we share a watermark on our foreheads. We're bound by a bloodline, and we all know that giving birth involves blood, right? Bloodletting. And our birth, our birth as disciples came about through the greatest bloodletting of all time, the cross. Every new generation of followers brings forth children of faith. We are red-blooded animations of Jesus' life by the breath of the Holy Spirit. If each one of us, in a part of a new generation, is truly a child of God, then we need to bring red to everything, everywhere we go, everything we touch. Red is the color of love. It's given freely. It's the color with which we can paint the world. Jesus didn't die and rise again to change the world. It's too small, too puny, too pint-sized uh, an ambition for this Jesus. Jesus didn't die on the cross to somehow improve or make the world better. Jesus died and rose again not to change the world, but to save it, to redeem it, to restore it to the original dream for a new humanity at one with this new creation. A new way of being is what was conceived with the first breath of the Spirit. Red-blooded followers of Jesus don't seek to make a difference in the world. We seek to be something different in the world, something odd and wondrous that can and does shape something entirely different. So I just was thinking about this world and what it is that we get to be engaged with and get to be shaped by and to shape. <clears throat> and what are we as red-blooded followers of Jesus projecting into the world and the universe? <clears throat> is it barriers we're projecting? Are we keeping one group of people in and another group of people out, out of health, out of access, out of acceptance? Are we projecting achievements that are actually functioning like scars across the landscape? Something that screams to the stars, there is an us and there is a them. Uh, the bloodline that Jesus created when he breathed upon the disciples is not an exclusive club. 
It's not about barriers because Jesus himself defied barriers. See in the gospel. Even walking through them as he visited those frightened, huddled disciples in our gospel. To be part of the bloodline doesn't mean we're we're uh, doesn't mean that we're not called into something completely different. We are called into something completely different. Not to build walls. Not to build walls. Not to build barriers. But to form circles. Circles that don't look inward, but instead are looking outward. The breath of the Holy Spirit and the connection to our bloodline gives us the gift to go out into the world and I'll just say it, live red. Live red. We release and we unleash the resurrection energies for everyone who is locked away in fear, in despair, in panic, in uncertainty, in rage, in doubt, in disbelief. Red works every day and all the time. In a world that demands that we continue to create divisions, create barriers, create walls between us and them, between those with enough and those with less, between those who seek a better life and those who live in the afterglow of their ancestors' sacrifices, do we dare to see red and become the gifts of Christ today? Faith, hope, obedience, prayer, forgiveness, justice, but real, embodied, everyday, tangible, living red, our bloodline. That's not someone else's bloodline. This is us. Amen.